This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is our last episode before uh, one of us is at spring training, or both of us. You'll be there next week in Florida. I will be there in two weeks in Arizona. And um, the rest of you, uh, if you're not going down, you can live vicariously through us. Well, we'll try to bring the uh, ocean waves and the desert air, I guess, the the dry desert air, however you're going to make that <laughs> yeah, work with really, Foley work. We don't really have that in, in Arizona. It's more just like, although not this time around. This time around, if you follow anybody uh, Cactus League related on social media, all they've been able to post about for the last couple of weeks is how cold it's been. Um, which hopefully will not be the case by two weeks from now when I'm down there because obviously it's extraordinarily important that I am comfortable. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you can't really emulate. There are no sounds to emulate. I guess I could do like a coyote howling. So oh, I'm there you go. That's actually a better – my my idea was like you just rubbing up against a cactus. Just screaming in pain. Yeah, that's so – Bristles sure, dragging right. across skin. Or um, just, yeah, that, that Looney Tunes version that just made it sound like it was like boing, 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 boing. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, welcome into this week's episode of the Show Before the Show podcast from MILB.com, episode number 199. Next week, Sam Dykstra will be in Florida for uh, some Grapefruit League action. Two weeks, I will be in Arizona for some Cactus League action, and uh, we're going to start talking about a little bit of spring training stuff. Uh, but before we get to that, thanks for tuning in wherever you found us at MILB.com, on iTunes, on Google Play, uh elsewhere wherever else you get podcasts i don't think it's actually called itunes for podcasts i think it's apple Podcasts, which i have tried to remind myself for like <laughs> a year and a half whatever you know you know what i'm talking about people yeah um and so if uh if you did uh find us via a subscription we appreciate it and if not and you like the show give us a subscription and a rating or a review and uh it helps us out quite a bit I'm not sure why, but they have always told me to say that. So uh, I'm assuming it does something good. Uh, no, it does. So you should give us your best and <laughs> be eternally appreciative of it. And with that, we'll dive into three strikes on this week's episode and kick it off talking about spring training. Sam is headed down to Florida. Well, first, Sam's headed to Mexico. Excuse us. But yeah. uh, oh, then sorry. he's headed to Florida. So, you know. Well, uh, I guess we'll we'll try to be as cool as Sam for the next few days. Um, but take us through your next uh, your next between now and when we talk to you again next week. What are all of your stops? Yeah, so uh, just to get that out of the way before you, people think I'm going down on business to Mexico, I'm going down for a friend's wedding. I am not going down to interview anybody about the new uh, LMB, you know, Liga Me Mexicana, the baseball agreement with Major League Baseball, uh, nothing like that. It's friend's wedding, then going to Tampa. Uh, just to take you guys through my itinerary, I know there are people who love traveling to Florida, going all around. Um, so if anybody is down in Florida during any of these dates at any of these camps, uh, please shout me out my Obviously, my Twitter handles at Sam Dykstra, M-I-L-B. My email address is also in there in my bio. Uh, reach out. Let me know if you're there. would love to meet up with somebody who's listened to the podcast or, you know, just talk for a little bit, talk baseball, talk whatever you want. Uh, but, yeah, so my plan next week is 
Monday, March 11th, I'll be at Braves camp. Uh, the next day, Tuesday, March 12th, I'll be at the Blue Jays camp. Uh, I'm Vlad Jr. Watch, most certainly. Uh, March 13th, Wednesday, I will be at New York Yankees camp. Uh, the 14th, I will be at Tampa Bay Rays camp. That's a Thursday. Uh, and then on the 16th, which is Saturday, I'll be in Miami Marlins camp. 15th day off travel to go from uh, the Gulf Coast side to the Atlantic side. Uh, and then March 17th, St. Patrick's Day, I'll be in Washington Nationals camp. Um, some really cool stops along the way there. I'm really looking forward to Rays camp. I've actually never been to Tampa Bay Rays camp, and that's really exciting for a reason we will talk about later in the podcast. Uh, but yeah, that's a really, really cool Rays group. Uh, it'll be fun to touch base on that. Blue Jays camp is kind of interesting for anybody who's ever been to Dundee, Florida for spring training. Uh, you probably know, you know, the, the Major League Stadium at, well, the Major League Spring Training Stadium where the Dunedin Blue Jays play, uh, that's its own complex. The Meyer Leakers play at a separate complex uh, a couple miles away. Um, so it's it's kind of interesting having a split time between those and seeing two different environments um, as opposed to some of these other places, uh, you know, like Miami Marlins camp, Washington Nationals camp, where everybody's kind of centralized in the same area. Um, so it's going to be interesting by then, by next week, when I do go to Dunedin, uh, who is still in Blue Jays Major League camp? Is Bo Bichette still going to be around, uh, or is he going to be back at the minor league complex? How long are they going to keep Vlad Jr. around? I mean, there, there have been some comments by the front office saying they don't believe he's a major leaguer. Nobody really believes them in that, but that's what they have to say in order to send him down to AAA Buffalo eventually to call him back up uh, in late April, get that extra year free or hold off free agency for an extra year. Um, I, I would love to see Vlad play in the game. I'm going to watch. I don't control that. Um, but, uh, you know, anybody who's ever seen him take batting practice other from, you know, social media sites, from MLB sites, from wherever, uh, from, last year's performance in which he almost hit 400, you know Vlad Jr. BP is really something special. So I'm going to try to get some video of that, uh, some of these other places. If there's anybody in these stops that you would like to see or like to hear from, uh, reach out as well. You know, We might try to get some video interviews on the site, um, some different things this year, uh, which I think could be really cool. Um, but yeah, the, you know, looking at Nationals camp, uh, They've got Carter Keyboom and Luis Garcia as middle infield guys, um, both of which are, are contributing as part of Grapefruit League play right now. Are they going to be sent down by the time I'm there? We'll have to see. Um, Miami Marlins, our guest this week is Connor Scott, uh, their first-round pick last year. Uh, it was interesting being in that camp last year when I was there because it was the start of a rebuild. A, a lot of those minor leaguers knew that they were the future. Lewis Brinson was still a prospect, was still considered a – you know, potential shining star. Uh, things have kind of come off a little bit for him and, and for other prospects like Monte Harrison, Nissan Diaz, Braxton Garrett. Um, you know, so what is the state of that system now? It'll be interesting to check in on that. And the New York Yankees, uh, you know, so much of that, as always, is reflected or is focused on the major league side. Um, but, you know, even last year, Glaber Torres was still a prospect. Miguel Andujar was a, still a prospect. Um, you know, so much of their focus now when it comes to the minor league system 
our teenagers, our young pitchers, especially. Um, so how is that going to be reflected in what I'm able to see next week? We'll have to find out. But one of my favorite things about going into spring training is not expecting things. Don't go and say or think, oh, this is what I'm going to see. This is, you know, uh, it's just going to be a carryover from 2018 spring training. The whole point of it is a sense of renewals, a sense of new things, guys working on new positions, working on new batting stances, whatever. Um, so I, I'm looking forward to going and learning what I can from these camps and, and bringing it to you guys on the site and to the podcast as well. We'll have interviews here the next two weeks. So uh, that's some of the stuff I'm looking forward to. What what do you what's a camp that you're looking forward to, Tyler? Because I know Arizona is kind of its own animal in that you can kind of go to multiple camps in, in one day in a way you can't in Florida, right? Yeah, that is true. Every time uh, we have these discussions, uh, I'm always struck by how easy we have it on the Cactus League side because everything, like the longest commute between two camps uh, in the Cactus League is pretty much like 45 minutes to an hour. Maybe with traffic, it's like at the absolute most, like an hour and 20 minutes. But uh, that's like the shortest drive in the Great Front League. And uh, so I feel pretty good about that. When you're like, yeah, you know, some places where they're sort of all centralized in the same location, there's really only one Cactus League setup where that isn't the case, and that's uh, the San Francisco Giants. And even that, it's not too far apart. It's driving distance between Scottsdale Stadium and the the minor league side uh, for the Giants. But everybody else, it's literally like you walk out of the Major League Spring Training Stadium and you just like walk across a pathway and you're generally at the backfield. So, yeah, it's a little easier for us. Um, My apologies, Sam. Um, I think (laughs) that the camps that I'm most – the location – that I'm most interested in hitting this time around uh, is Peoria, which is the the spring training setup for the San Diego Padres and the Seattle Mariners. Um, both of those systems obviously just have a lot of intrigue right now. And uh, with the Padres, um, th- that kind of goes without saying just how much talent is there. Similarly to uh, what's going on on the, the Blue Jays side and the Rays side and elsewhere, how many of those guys are going to be down in minor league camp? By the time I'm there in two weeks, um, it'll be more solidified than probably what you'll see being down there next week. But um, that is a system in which you just kind of feel like if you walk in and just started blindly spinning around, you would eventually smack a top 100 prospect uh, since they are everywhere in that San Diego organization. Um, so that'll obviously be one that kind of goes without saying will be fun to hit. On the other side with the Mariners, that organization has tried so many different things in recent years to get itself over the hump and get into the playoffs. Uh, the Mariners, if I am not mistaken, now have the longest postseason drought in major American sports, I believe. Um, and now they're going the the rebuild and the prospect route. And they've got Justice Sheffield. They drafted Jared Kellenick. They've got Justin Dunn uh, from a trade. Evan White is back this season with another year of experience under his belt, in which he actually got a little bit of time at AAA last year, but uh, mostly at high A with Modesto, where he was fantastic. Uh, Kyle Lewis looks as though he's healthy, even though he only played 86 games last year. Um, there are so many interesting prospects in that system right now may not be the most elite level organization out there in the cactus league but i think they have so many interesting pieces at the moment um, that i really like that mariner system but it really just anywhere you go there's an intriguing storyline because even with systems that don't seem like they really have a whole lot uh there are some interesting components you know with the the san francisco giants there's not a ton in that system but they do have joey bart um with the chicago cubs there's not a ton in that system but they do have friend of the podcast now nico Horner, some of those guys, Miguel Amaya, uh, the catching prospect there. So you can kind of go anywhere 
and discover somebody who has the ability to put themselves on the map this year. Uh, but those two Peoria teams, they're going to be a lot of fun to check out. Yeah, no, I, I, I do get jealous that you can do that. Like Jupiter is the closest. Oh, no, I guess Washington Nationals and Houston at Washington Nationals and Houston Astros, excuse me, at West Palm Beach and the Cardinals and Marlins in Jupiter. Uh, it's sim- similar. You can kind of do that. But, yeah, I, I always get jealous. Of, you can just kind of fly into Phoenix and there's you could see like four or five in a day, really, if you wanted to. Right. Yeah. And those are all those are the only two shared facilities in the Grapefruit League. Right. Yes. That's amazing to me because there yeah. are. Well, now I'm going to be put on the spot and I can't remember, but there are <laughs> a bunch. Uh, Salt River Fields, a talking stick, Peoria, uh, Glendale, Goodyear, Surprise. Um, there are a lot of shared facilities. I know that there's somebody listening somewhere in a car right now who's yelling out one that I've forgotten, undoubtedly. Um, but, yeah, there's uh, you can hit – if you really wanted to, you could probably hit six different camps in a day just by hitting you know three or four spots where there are shared or, uh, or one team that's close to the others. And, yeah, you don't really get that in, uh, in Florida. I'm sorry, buddy. Uh, it's okay. I, I enjoy long road trips. So yeah, that's true. Um, right. Our I guess the the big question is: Are you going to swing through whatever junction <laughs> that town with the? Pies? I was just going to say for anybody who knows my love of Yeehaw Junction. <laughs> Yeehaw uh, Junction. <laughs> yeah, yes, when I write the next great American novel that is based exclusively at this one crossing of two roads in the middle of Florida. Uh, you guys will know the origin of it. It's I love Yeehaw Junction so much. I'm actually kind of thinking like on my day off in which I'm going from Tampa to West Palm that I am going to finally get lunch there. Uh, I've missed it the last couple of years in which I, you know I'm trying to quickly get from one end of the state to the other. Uh, this year I have a day off to, to kind of do that and go to a beach. No, I want to get it. <laughs> no, I want to stop at the at one building in Yeehaw diner. Junction. Yeah. <laughs> Book research. That's what it um, is. Yeah, there you go. That's a, that's a smart thing. I, mean, I think we need to adopt Yeehaw Junction the way like David Letterman used to have a home office for the top 10 list for the late show. I think Yeehaw Junction will be the uh, – that's the show before the show home office from now yes. on. Yes, I during, love it. Uh, during spring training. Um, so, yeah, if you're going to be in Florida, hit up Sam at Sam Dykstra, M-I-L-B. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Tyler Mon. I'll be in Arizona. Uh, I'll get there on the night of the 16th. Uh, the 17th, I'm just going to take a day to – and try to collect my brain from a bunch of other work stuff uh and then starting on the 18th is when i'm really going to be hitting camps in earnest so um yeah reach out let me know if you're going to be there um i already got one email from uh, a listener who was going to be down in arizona and uh we'll hopefully get a chance to cross paths and we can give each other taco recommendations and all that type of thing that's really there's a large portion of where i'm going to go in arizona is oriented around like well is there an in and out there or is there a taco place nearby like Phoenix is such a good food city. It's uh, you gotta have your priorities pretty well ironed out. Yes, I understand I'm there to cover things, but I gotta eat. Also, <laughs> yeah. <you know. laughs> All right, strike two. Uh, as we get deeper into spring training, Sam, uh, and we've discussed this from year to year on the podcast in various forms, but um, I think it's always important to clarify with people: what should fans actually be paying attention to? in spring training sometimes you'll get into the spring you'll take a look at a pitcher his stuff is just 
awful and his numbers are terrible, but it turns out, well, he was working on adding a new pitch or his delivery was being tweaked this spring and uh, he wasn't really focused on the results so much as just trying to get comfortable with stuff. That's kind of a, a microcosm of what a lot of springs look like for a lot of guys. So going into a spring training game, if you're looking at a prospect, if you're evaluating where a guy is uh, in his development, how much do stats matter? Do stats matter? What should people pay attention to at spring training? Yeah, so uh, the thing about spring training is it, we are coming off the winter and we are coming off the offseason. And th both of those things, as much as you've heard us talk the past couple of weeks, uh, they're a baseball desert, essentially. Um, you know, we don't have much new information to talk about other than maybe injuries or trades or those things. But in terms of on the field performance after the Arizona fall league and, you know, minus some winter league stuff, we don't have new things to talk about. So we pour so much into what we see in spring training games, or at least that's the natural feeling is, you know, somebody goes three for four. Uh, oh, obviously the, the swing changes they've made are working. Um, this is a big deal. This is something we should pay attention to and, and great things will happen because of this. Uh, the example I always come back to personally is, I believe it was 2013, I want to say, uh, the Boston Red Sox had a, a very good outfield prospect at the time in, in Jackie Bradley Jr., um, somebody who did not have that much minor league experience yet, um, but everybody knew he was a really, really good fielder in center field, uh, and he had some good on-base skills in the minors. Um, you know, not a, a great hitting prospect, but, you know, it showed some some promise at least in the lower levels entered spring and ended up winning a job with the team on opening day because of how good he did in the spring turned out the more major league experience he got the more he saw actual major league pitching instead of you know double a triple a arms that are brought in later in the game uh he kind of got figured out so now we know jackie bradley jr gold glove winner center fielder for the world series champions but you can't blow up that small sample of he did so great in the spring that obviously means he's major league ready. If somebody does really well in the spring, that's great. That's something we should carry into the season and start to think about like, okay, now's the time for them to back it up. Uh, that's not necessarily how uh, spots are won by just spring uh, numbers, at least in that type of bubble. If it's somebody like Pete Alonzo, let's say, who I don't know if we mentioned this yet, now Pete Alonzo, not Peter Alonzo. Pete. For his he is officially Pete. Pete. Yes, officially Pete. Uh, Pete Alonzo is in Mets camp right now trying to win a first base job. The Mets have said all the right things in terms of he's there to actually compete. He, he's not necessarily automatically going down to AAA Syracuse. Uh, we are hopeful he will win the job. Then, yeah, with every dinger Pete Alonzo hits, that's him getting closer. Um but, you know, to look at somebody like Fernando Tatis Jr., who hasn't had AAA experience yet and is doing a lot of really fun things this spring and saying, like, well, if he keeps this going, he's going to be on the opening day roster, right? Not quite. I mean, he it's great that he's showing this and it might bump up his timeline a little bit. It's going to take a lot for Fernando Tatis Jr. to win a shortstop job with the San Diego Padres as exciting as a camp as that's going to be. Um, so you're allowed to get excited. You're allowed to watch these guys and, and see what they're doing. If it's a pitcher, you know, maybe see if they've added a third or fourth pitch, uh, see if their velocity is ticked up a little bit. Although I you know, also mentioned these are shorter stints and they are coming off fresh. So if they go from 96 to 98, 
don't pour all your eggs in the bucket just yet. But, you know, just take all of these with kind of grains of salt and, and look for the more interesting things, the things you weren't expecting, the leg kicks or, you know, subtle changes to the swing, stuff like that. Um, don't necessarily get all wrapped up because I think as of today, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is flirting with the Mendoza line and nobody ex thinks that means um, that he's not going to be a major league ready hitter uh, you know, later this month. He is a major league ready hitter. He just needs to get into the swing of things and, and go from there. So yeah, just find the, the things that you weren't expecting and, and explore those a little bit. That's something we're going to be doing in our prospect primers and, and with all our spring training coverage. Um, but don't, don't get lost too much in what happens in grapefruit and cactus league games. So there you have it, the Bible itself from one Sam Dykstra. Um, and uh, strike three this week, Sam. The A few weeks ago, we discussed uh, the impact of the Manny Machado signing on the San Diego Padres organization. Uh, I'm not sure if people heard Bryce Harper signed a contract with the Philadelphia Phillies last week. Not sure if that news uh, wasn't really that, um, that loud on the baseball landscape. Uh, but... Bryce Harper, now a member of the, the Philadelphia Phillies, a plucky young player who signed for a decent amount of money. And uh, that will affect the way that Phil's system looks going forward uh, really for a very long stretch of time because this is not one of those contracts that we've seen in recent years with, oh, there's an opt-out after four or five years, um, you know, and it's an eight-year contract in total. This is a 13-year deal with no opt-out with a full trade clause. So Bryce Harper, in effect, uh, blocks one-third of the Phillies' outfield from prospects for the next decade and a half almost. Um, but what does this really do for the Phillies system right now? We know how loaded of an organization that has been for the last few seasons how does this signing change things or or what does it do to impact that system yeah in that kind of sense and in, in a minor league sense in a, in a prospect standpoint uh i i don't think this has the same effect that the machado trade happened or, or did because the padres they had a strength in the infield obviously you know machado was looking to maybe be a shortstop when he signed his next contract he's willing to move over to third basically to accommodate Fernando Tatis Jr. He's a realist. He knows what the situation is. He knows how good of a shortstop Tatis is. Um, so at least Tatis gets to stay, and that's going to move over Luis Arias over to second base at some point. Um, so there are a lot, a lot of moving parts. Hudson Potts, I think, is somebody I mentioned who was a third base prospect. I think he was getting work at second base this spring as well. Um, so there are some moving parts involved there. When we look at the Phillies, you know, Harper's going to move into right field. Uh, he's going to have that on lock for a while. Nothing huge there. You know, they signed Andrew McCutcheon this offseason as well. So they have two new outfielders, both of whom are of all-star quality or have been in the past. Um, it, it, that'll affect things a little bit, but when you look at the state of the Philly system, yes, they have some notable out, outfielders, particularly you know former first overall pick Mickey Moniak and Adam Hazley, who is also a first rounder, uh, and and some other names in there: Jaime Ortiz, Simon Muziotti. Um, but are these top level prospects in the same way that Tatis, Urias, even Potts are? I, I wouldn't quite go in that direction. Um, Mickey Moniak. It made some improvements over the second half last year, but uh, still has a long way to go with the bat to to be a quality major league starting outfielder to the point where we're talking about him really getting affected by Bryce Harper signing. Uh, he's also expected 
you know, if everything clicks for him to be a center fielder. Harper being in right isn't going to affect him in center. Uh, Hazley's a little bit more of a complicated case. He climbed up to double-A Redding last year. Um, they've started to play him all around the outfield. I think they would love for him to kind of stick as a center fielder, um, but they're a little bit more realistic with him about maybe having to move to a corner. If that happens, there's going to be a bigger onus on the bat. Maybe he eventually replaces Andrew McCutcheon. Um in left but you know this is one job that's taken away and i'm not gonna sit here and tell you that right field is on lock in philadelphia for the next 13 years um yeah there's a full no trade clause in there but you know trades happen who knows what happens five years from now bryce harper could get traded if he sees the phillies going south whatever maybe adam hazley's part of the team by then we'll see um, but, you know, outfield is can be a little bit different. It's a little bit easier to move out there than teaching, you know, a shortstop how to play first base, something like that. Um, so, you know, and who knows what could happen to Odubel Herrera. Uh, you know, maybe eventually Moniak and Hazley play well enough that they knock him out of, out of center field. Who knows? Um, but neither of those guys really feature as a future right fielder. So I'm not going to say that, Harper has taken a job from them. It's just that there's one fewer spot potentially they could be down the line. Um, that doesn't affect the Phillies all that much right now. Uh, but neither of those guys are major league ready. Uh, neither of those guys are top 100 guys. So they're not going to have to really force their way in there. Maybe now they're playing for a trade in a way that they weren't previously. Um, but yeah, I just don't see this having as, as big an effect on the farm as Machado did for San Diego. And that's three strikes for this week's episode of the show before the show. No Benjamin Hill coming up this week, but we do have uh, the full final list of the top minor league systems in baseball. Our farm system rankings concluding this week with the overall rankings from one Sam Dykstra. We're going to break that all down coming up next. Before we dive into the farm system rankings for this week, I do just want to give one shout out uh, promo wise. We got an email in from Charles Belfield, who uh, got in touch with the podcast, podcast at MILB.com, and uh, sent us a link. The Rochester Red Wings, um, following in the footsteps of the Myrtle Beach Pelicans last year, uh, they're going to do a night um, in which they uh, don jerseys uh, in American Sign Language script and uh, will celebrate deaf culture. This will be April 28th. They'll wear ASL jerseys and caps um, and a really cool initiative that got started last year across the minor leagues. The Pelicans um, really kind of put that thing on on its feet and uh, now with other teams starting to take the initiative to get behind this as well um, this is really cool the red wings partnering with the rochester institute of technologies national technical institute for the deaf and the rochester school for the deaf uh deaf culture day again is going to april 28th so if you're in the rochester area really cool thing to uh to get behind and uh, we got that email in i just wanted to make sure we touched on it because it's a really cool thing uh that has started to move across the minor league landscape and uh with that instead of Diving full bore into the business of minor league baseball this week, we're going to go right into our farm system rankings in which all 30 definitive and inarguable rankings have been released. They are 100% correct. Sam will entertain no disagreement. <laughs> this is it. The San Diego Padres, not surprisingly, top-ranked system in minor league baseball. 
followed by the Tampa Bay Rays, the Atlanta Braves, fourth ranked the Chicago White Sox, number five, the Houston Astros, number six, the Toronto Blue Jays, number seven, the Cincinnati Reds, number eight, the Los Angeles Dodgers, number nine, the Minnesota Twins, and number 10, the Pittsburgh Pirates. Those are the top 10 systems in baseball. Um, All 30 are up on the site right now. Sam, what stands out most uh, among what has made these top organizations rise to the top? Obviously, the Padres have so much talent. I think the depth of talent really seems like it separates itself for the Padres, the Rays, and the Braves. Maybe thinner beyond that, but what's kind of the theme among these teams that have made the climb to the top? Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there, Tyler. Looking at tiers of this, I mean, we broke it down 30 to 21, then 20 to 11, then 10 to 1. Um, But obviously within those tiers of 10, there's also many tiers. And, And looking at it, I think the Padres and Rays, I would even say the Braves are kind of off to their own side a little bit, and that's for a good reason. They they graduated Ronald Acuna Jr., who was the number one overall prospect last year at the time of his graduation. Uh, you know, they've done well in terms of that. It, it, it isn't like the system has gotten worse for anything they've done wrong. It's just you graduate a prospect, you're going to move down like that. Um, but the Padres and Rays are kind of in their own world and depth is, is the right word there because you just look at these lists and, and go to MLB pipeline and, and find their top 30. And it's like it waves. It just comes over you and over you and over you. You have to sc- scroll for a while. At least I do until I find a prospect who is like, okay, I'm kind of iffy on that guy. Uh, San Diego Padres have 10 top 100 prospects right now. Uh, when you think about that, that's one in every 10 Top 100 guys belongs to one system. That's nuts. It, it, we've said this before. You know, it, it's amazing that one system can possess that much talent. But not just that. It, it's the diversity of talent. You know, there's the number two overall prospect in Fernando Tatis Jr. He plays shortstop. Luis Arias is is one of the best prospects in baseball. He plays shortstop and second base. Francisco Mejia is a catcher. They have so much pitching between Mackenzie Gore, Logan Allen, Chris Paddock, Luis Patino, Adrian Morajon, Ryan Met- Weathers, Michelle Baez. Uh, they've got other good catchers like Austin Allen. They've got Hudson Potts, who we mentioned earlier. He's the third baseman. Josh Naylor used to play first base. Now he plays left field. The bat is still really good. Uh, you know, Buddy Reed is a special outfielder, at least when it comes to speed and defense, still trying to figure out the bat. But, you know, he's, for a lot of organizations, he might, might be like your top outfield prospect. He's way down the list for the Padres. Uh, you know, Edward Olivares is their number 23 prospect and yet showed enough tools that they were worried about losing him in the Rule 5 draft um, because they thought, Somebody might pick him and see how good he is. And yet there are still 22 prospects better than him uh, in that system right now. It's really, really crazy how good this Padre system is. A lot of it's coming to to the majors this year. Tatis, we're going to see. Mejia and Urias, we've already seen. I think Chris Paddock, I mentioned him on the show last week. He, he's already been a really impressive spring performer, uh, was our Milby Pitcher of the Year last year. I'd expect him to be up early or at least relatively early in the season this year, especially if San Diego is challenging uh, Colorado and Los Angeles in the NL West. Um, and, and kind of in that same token, I, I know I mentioned tiers, so the Rays are also in that group. Uh, the Rays don't have the top talent. They don't have somebody like Fernando Tetsis Jr. Uh, I love Wander Franco. Trust me, I, I love Wander Franco. I think he's going to be the next big thing, and I say that in capital letters in case that doesn't come across. Uh, Wander Franco... You know, a gifted shortstop. 
doesn't have the track record yet of a Fernando Tatis Jr. Um, so they kind of lose that shining edge just a little bit, and that's what helped, caused them to fall below the Padres. They also have, I think, six top 100 prospects. Compared that to 10, it's always going to be a drop below. But look at the guys who aren't top 100 prospects. Brandon Lau hit his way to the majors last year. Nate Lowe climbed three levels and might have been one of the best offensive performers in the minor leagues last year. Uh, Matthew Libertore and Shane McClanahan, they added in the draft. They got a 2017 first-rounder in Shane Boz. Uh, Brendan McKay, you know, they officially said this week that he's going to be DH slash pitcher, no more first base. Um, but if that, you know, if he starts hitting now that he's can, can focus just on hitting a little bit more, he could be a special player. They're getting Brent Honeywell back. Uh, this is just a really, really special system right now. I didn't even mention Ronaldo Hernandez, who is a catching prospect. I really like he hits well. He has a strong arm. Uh, we're kind of at a time right now when catching in the major leagues is down. But if he does everything he did last year at Class A Bowling Green at the upper levels, he's going to be a special major league ca catcher as well. Uh, again, it just rolls over you, and it's at different positions. They're not loaded up at one specific spot. Uh, and one of the things the Rays obviously value is diversity in positioning. Uh, Brandon Lau, we mentioned Probably should be a second baseman in most organizations. They're trying to find him a spot in the outfield just because the Rays major league team is so loaded on the infield right now. Uh, that's going to come into play with a lot of these guys as they make their way to Tampa Bay. Um, you know, if, if these guys graduate, if Brent Honeywell is, is healthy and, uh, you know, somebody like Colin Pache is as good a reliever in the majors as he was in the minors. The Rays could be sneaky, sneaky good in that AL East this year. Obviously, the Yankees and Red Sox are the two favorites there. But uh, given the way this talent, again, is well-rounded and diversified and plentiful, uh, you know, the Rays kind of heydays when, when they went to the World Series. When was that? 2008. Um, it, it's not far away with the group they have right now. Um, just to kind of mention the number three team, we Tyler talking about the Atlanta Braves again, graduating Ronald Acuna kind of hurts them. We called them our number one organization for pitching. And, you know, you know, the four guys who made the major leagues last year among their top 100 prospects, Mike Soroka, Kyle Wright, Tuki Toussaint, Bryce Wilson, uh, not as diversified a group here. Uh, Christian Pache and Drew Waters are two of their best position player prospects. They both play center field. That's going to kind of come to a head in a couple of years. Good problem to have, but you know, it, I, I would have liked to see a really good shortstop in the mix there. Austin Riley has a really good bat. He'll start out the year AAA, but he plays third base. He's going to be stuck behind Josh Donaldson, who they signed for the year. Um, how is that going to work? Do they move him to the outfield? We'll have to see how that works. Uh, so the Braves don't necessarily have as, as deep a system as they once did. It is very pitching heavy right now, position players lacking behind that. Um, but still, they're the number three system in baseball. Uh, at a time when they're coming off winning a division title and going through still ongoing uh, youth movement. So really exciting stuff for the, the Atlanta, Brewer, Atlanta Braves. Excuse me. Uh, it falls off pretty significantly there to the White Sox, who have a lot of top talent, but not much depth. Houston Astros, who kind of similarly, you know, they have Forrest Whitley. They, they have Kyle Tucker. Uh, I really like their depth. They don't have the depth of top talent like the White Sox do. Um, but again, you go in deeper into that system, you'll find a lot of guys you like, like Fran Valdez, Miles Raw, Luis Santana. Uh, Toronto Blue Jays, how much do we pour into just one prospect with Vladimir Guerrero Jr.? This is something we talked about, Tyler, when we did the 21 yeah. and under talent. 
how much credit do we give them for just that guy? Um, enough to move them comfortably within the top 10. And then, you know, Bo Bichette, Nate Pearson, Danny Jansen, Eric Pardino, Kevin Smith, Kevin Biggio, all these guys kind of solidify their spot further up into the number six spot. Um, but, you know, I'm not just going to give uh, the Blue Jays a, a top five system just because they have Vlad Jr. As much as I would like to and as much as I do think it, it is a wide gulf between him and Fernando Tatis Jr. at number two in terms of individual prospects, uh, he can only get them so far and we have them at number six. So really, really fun to do this every year. Fun to have it now all on the site. You can peruse it. Again, we ranked overall talent, position player talent, pitching talent, 21 and under talent over the last four weeks. It's now all all up on the site, all for your perusal. Uh, revisit this again next year or as the season goes along. See how the systems have changed. See what graduations do. See what trades do. See what st- you know stocks going up and down do. Uh, it's, it's really fun to revisit these uh, a year, five years, ten years down the road. So uh, be, fr- be sure to bookmark this and keep coming back because there's a lot of words about a lot of these systems that have been up on the site over the last four weeks. One thing that I do think is uh, is pretty amazing, the last three World Series champions, two of them are the bottom two farm systems in our rankings, the Chicago Cubs at 29, the Boston Red Sox at 30. The other one is the Houston Astros at five, and that shows you just how much depth the Astros have built in that system. We talked about that for so long going into their World Series year, going into last season. That system not going away uh even when they graduate Forrest Whitley and Kyle Tucker there is still a lot of talent in that organization um it is pretty impressive what the Padres or what the, the Astros have been able to build and uh, organizations like the Padres and the Braves and the Rays and all these teams are trying to emulate um and you know obviously it speaks to a much larger discussion that we're having all across the game of baseball which is how do you rebuild uh, a system and and try to grow from within without it being entirely at the expense of of trying to win at the major league level um the Astros have shown or at least seem to be showing that it's possible to do both and you may have to go through uh, a really rough lean period as the Astros did for a little while but right now that's a team that's you know maybe the favorite in the American League and the American League West uh, and also still has one of the most loaded systems in baseball and whether or not that's going to last for a long time I'm not sure uh, but it is pretty incredible what the Astros have built and uh, not something that we should um continue to or not something that we should miss out on highlighting again uh for another season in which they check in in our top five so pretty uh pretty amazing stuff um you can check out all the rankings right now on the site at milb.com we've got uh three different stories 30 through 21 20 through 11 and then the top 10 systems uh in all of baseball and you can find where yours ranks and then yell at sam on twitter at sam dextra milb and uh that'll do it for this week's segment uh away from ben but ben will rejoin us next week when sam is out of the office and nothing is routine and everything's weird for the next three weeks yeah yeah so if you miss ben ben is on his own vacation so he'll also just sound relaxed i think going into yeah probably yeah so probably that's good everybody's getting some decompression time there we go that's good that's what we all need before opening night Coming up this week's interview on the Show Before the Show podcast, we are going to head to the Miami Marlins system, one that is uh, being reshaped like a lot of these organizations across baseball. And their first-round selection from last year, outfielder Connor Scott joins the show from Florida next. Head 
once more to the grapefruit leak on this week's episode of the show before the show podcast that's where we find the sixth ranked prospect in the miami marlins organization outfielder connor scott 13th overall pick in last year's draft connor welcome to the show man how's uh, how's your first spring training been so far oh it's been going great oh thanks for having me i really appreciate it absolutely man so tell us about the the process of getting in for your first spring you're drafted last year uh out of high school plant high school in tampa which is something we'll talk about in a little while it's a, a baseball powerhouse but um you get into the the miami organization last year you get some time at a couple of different levels in rookie ball and in the sally league uh but to go through an off season and to get into your first spring training what have the first few weeks been like getting acclimated to the everyday process of of what camp is going to be um, well, I was I was uh, fortunate enough to get invited to the uh, to the captain's camp. It's a thing um, they've been doing the past past two years. Um, so we kind of we got here February fourth. Um, it was just twelve guys. Um, so we kind of you know kind of got ourselves in baseball shape um, pretty early, and you know we did a lot of leadership leadership stuff and team bonding stuff. So you know I think that was really great and really helped me a lot. So I'm uh, hopefully I'll be ready to go what's the the best thing that you did it's kind of cool when you get to do those things that are baseball related but not baseball related what's something that you did that was team bonding related that uh that you enjoyed or that was kind of out of the ordinary um so we've been doing uh we've been doing community service stuff events um and then also we uh we did the fan fest um so i think those were those were two really fun things for us um for us minor league guys that were in captain's camp got to go to Got to go to Fan Fest and uh, hang out in Miami for the day, and then we did Top Golf after that. So, I think we had a really good time during that. What's your Top Golf game like? How are you? <laughs> I'm I'm pretty good, um, but I, I haven't picked up a golf club in a while. Baseball time. <laughs> well that's a good that's a good approach for this time of year so yeah. the first uh few days now that you're into in a camp camp um what are the biggest things to get you know your your day-to-day activities you wake up you do your stuff in the morning you'll get, start games soon um what have been your uh your biggest points of emphasis early on in getting yourself started baseball activity wise um i mean i i think kind of coming into this and uh from what I experienced from talking to other players and, and people I know and just being here at captain's camp, I kind of wanted to do like a, you know, first one in last one out type of deal. Um, I think that's kind of driving me and kind of keeping me, um, you know, doing the things I can do. And then I think the biggest part for me physically would be trying to get as many live at bats I can, you know, so I can, uh, so I can be ready for, you know, when games start. And when you did go through that captain's camp, I know that's something that, you know, a lot of the, the people in the Marlins now kind of carried over from the Yankees. Um, you know, I, I know Derek Jeter's obviously big time in that front office right now, but you guys get to talk to a lot of people who have been through it before, been through the major leagues, but climbed through the minor leagues. Uh, what piece of advice or what was something that you heard that you think you're going to carry the most uh, going into your first full season? Um, I think that the biggest part, um, so during captain's camp, we had an inspirational speaker every single day. Um, not inspirational, but you know, we had, um, Don Mattingly talk to us, Trey Hillman, Curtis Granderson, Miguel Rojas. I mean, we had a whole list of names that would come talk to us. And, you know, the biggest thing was they all preach the same thing is, is, you know, being a good person, if you help other people, you're helping yourself. And if you're in a slump, you know, 
go help somebody else and it's going to help you, you know, good karma and, you know, being a good person really shows on and off the field. And what kind of discussions did you have with the Marlins when they, you know, extended that invite to you when, you know, this is your first off season, you've never really gone through this before. Normally during the winter, you're going to high school classes and, and, and stuff like that. Now all of a sudden, uh, you're getting invited to this type of camp and then you're going to be going to spring training. They're really involving you in the process quickly and very early in your career. Um, you know, what did they say about setting the expectations for you this quickly? Um, I mean, all of us were uh, super excited to be, you know, invited and we wanted to make the best out of it. Um, so, I mean, when we were there, we were, we were locked in the whole time. I mean, we did everything together. I mean, eat together, all that stuff. So I think the biggest thing for us is um, as younger players, the minor league guys over there was, was not really learning how to be a leader. I think, I think everyone that was there is a leader. I think that's why we were there, but I think just kind of rounding it off and, you know, getting all the, all the other smaller qualities put together and um, making us good. I mean, good human beings and, and, you know, we got to be leaders. So that's what it's all about. Yeah, and when you get a group of guys like that together, obviously the goal is to get you guys to know each other and get used to being around each other and hopefully forming a core. Um, but you know, how 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 much of the discussion that you guys are having is about, hey, you know, we know what the organization is like right now. We know the state of the major league team. This is a rebuild that's going on. A lot of resources are being poured into minor league talent. Uh, you know, if we stick together, we're the future of this franchise how much were you guys talking about that at captain's camp and how much does that kind of extend to even spring training when everybody is together and everybody knows they have a real shot uh at kind of leading this youth movement that's going on there down in miami yeah i mean um everyone's got a great opportunity i mean we're in a really good organization to move up and uh hopefully get to the big leagues and play for a while i mean the biggest thing for uh the biggest thing they talk about is just winning I mean, win championships, win ball games. I mean, that's all we care about. And I think once everyone gets on board with that, I think we'll become a championship team. I think it's going to happen very soon. Connor, when you uh, are a member of that organization right now, there's so much change over the last few years with uh, the Marlins organization. And that emphasis, you hear those things talked about and you think, man, that sounds a lot like the New York Yankees. And obviously there is a point behind that with Derek Jeter and with some of the the people have have been brought into that organization. Um, And obviously, you know, you don't know uh, any organization outside of Miami, and this is your first spring there. But the approach of that organization right now, what they're trying to emulate and what they're trying to be, um, how do you think that that is uh is communicated and how that affects uh all of you guys as the young generation coming up in like you said kind of the the professional thoughts and actions and deeds and what that means for you going forward how does that approach from the organization translate to you guys as players um i think it's just a call to action for all of us i mean like like you guys said we have we we all know that we have great opportunities to uh to be able to move up in the in the uh in the organization fast and I mean, I mean, the biggest thing is, is pretty much all they're preaching is be a good person, be respectful, be a professional baseball player on and off the field and, and win ball games. you know, be a winner. You got to want to win. And once you put all those together, I mean, you're going to have a winning ball club. 
well, let's talk about some on-field stuff. Last year, you get to play 50 combined games uh, between the rookie-level GCL and low A with the uh, the Greensboro Grasshoppers in the South Atlantic League. And to jump up at 18 years old and play in the Sally League for 23 games, there are not a whole lot of players uh, who get to do that in their draft year. Um, and I know there were, uh, I think, only a couple last year. I know Nolan Gorman and the, the Cardinals organization made that jump as well to, to low A. Um, for you to get some experience, you know, with a, a midseason promotion and seeing two different levels and getting all those at-bats in, what do you feel like your first taste of pro ball was? I mean, what what did you take away most from it going into the offseason? Um, you know, kind of just trust myself. You know, I kind of, um, once I got up to uh, to the Sally League, I kind of, um, you know, the game kind of got a lot more faster. <laughs> so I wasn't really prepared for that. Um, I think I grew um, tremendously this past year, and this offseason was a great great off season for me and you know I think I think just trust myself and slow the game down and uh, I mean that's the biggest thing for me um, I think I matured a lot since then as a baseball player and as a human being and I think uh, that'll hopefully show this upcoming year yeah let's get into that a little bit um, you know again last spring at this time um, you know, you weren't playing every day. You weren't doing the sort of things that you will be asked to do in 2019. So given all that experience you had last year in the GCL and Sally League and, and then, you know, the offseason to prepare for it, what are or how are you different as a baseball player now? What is something you find yourself doing either in the cage or in preparation or, you know, outfield work? Um, how are you different now as a baseball player than you were 12 months ago? I think the biggest thing would be um, I, it's also one of the mottos with, with the Marlins. Uh, it's work smarter, not harder. Um, I think it's, you know, um, quality over quantity is, is what they always say. And I think, you know, uh, last year I was kind of just, if I had a bad game, I'd go in there and take 300 swings, you know, it's just, just not trusting yourself. And when you start trusting yourself, you're, you got better quality of, of what you're doing. Um, you know, and just take care of your body is, is what, what that comes into. And, you know, that's how you're going to stay healthy and, and, you know, be able to play for a long time. And kind of expanding on that, when you say quantity over quality, instead of just taking 300 hacks in the cage, uh, what are you working on specifically now to kind of develop your hit tool? Because, you know, the scouting reports we read about you is that you're a good fielder, you got a good arm, you're especially good running, and I want to touch on that in a second. Um, but what have, what have you identified that you can work on uh, in terms of your hitting style to become a good minor league and eventually major league hitter? Yeah, I think I think a lot of it's um, a lot of it's approach. Um, you know, just talking with all the guys. I mean, the Marlins hired over 300 plus years um, of of experience in baseball this past off season, and you know, just picking their brain and asking questions. I think just approach-wise and, and baseball IQ has been tremendously higher than what it was um, last year. So I think just my approach has gotten a lot better, just just how I, how I go into things now. All right, so I, I teased it out a little bit there in the last question, but talking about your running style, uh, a couple of things I've read about you. I think Baseball America said you had like a unique gait. Uh, MLB Pipeline says you have a funky running style. Everybody says you're fast. So how do these things tie into each other? Is that something you've ever heard about in terms of your running? Uh, how would you kind of describe your running style? Um, it was 
it was funky. I can agree with that. <laughs> it was, it was pretty bad. But, uh, I do, uh, we do speed training every day at the complex, um, before we get on the field and stuff and, uh, it's gotten tremendously better and, uh, also getting me a lot faster. So we've been working on it. But kind of in your own words, what made it funky? I mean, what, what had people identified that at least to you that looked funky about it? <laughs> Have you ever seen me run? I have. I've seen the YouTube <laughs> clip and I, I don't want to describe it without, you know, uh, slandering you in some way, but it. <laughs> I, I don't know how to. I don't know how to describe it. I mean, my arms, my arms would go side to side, and my hand would be open, and there was a bunch of there was a bunch of stuff. And I was a heel runner, um, but I, you know, in high school, you don't, you just kind of, you hit it and you run, you know. <laughs> right. So I didn't really know anything about it until I got here, and uh, so we're, we we uh, we're changing it up and uh, we're making improvements. Connor, the uh, when you go through, we hear so often about you know a, a player who will uh, have his swing changed by an evaluation, the way his mechanics work, and and what teams want to do um, with you know your plant foot or the way your your hips move or where your hands are positioned or whatever, whatever it is. How does that factor in when a team is trying to change the way you run? Like, what was the what was the process? Like, how did they? First of all, was it insulting? Like, you're fast. People come to you and they're like, "You run weird." Like, if if I was just burning everybody foot race wise, I don't think I'd really care that much. What was that yeah. discussion like? Um, you know, I, I I was totally on board with them. Um, when they told me, I mean, they started off by saying you can be, you know, a lot faster than you already are. Um, so, you know, obviously I was on board with that. So, you know. I, we started doing the drills and everything started feeling better. I mean, um, I had the hamstring issue in, uh, at the end of my high school career and it was because of my running form. So, you know, I was, I was totally on board and, you know, we started doing the stuff and, and it's hopefully more prone to, uh, to injuries. Um, because when you run on your heels, you're kind of, it's kind of like a, a gas and a break. When you run on your heels, once you hit the heel at the break and then, you hit the gas pedal again and brake and gas pedal, and it's just really bad for your hamstring. So hmm. we're, we're kind of uh, – that was one of the main points we changed. When you say that you could get faster, and that's what the the organization brings to you, your best graded tool from MLB Pipeline right now is already your run tool, which is a 65 on the 20 to 80 scale. Where do you feel your, your speed shows itself best? Are you a guy who uh, last year you go out and you steal nine bases? Are you somebody who's good on the base pass? Do you feel like you cover ground best with your speed? How do you feel like it best manifests itself? Um, I mean, I think – I think all of them, I think, um, you know, being in center field is, is a, a big part of it. You know, you got you got the biggest part of the field you got to cover. Um, you know, I, I really like running around uh, in the outfield during BP and all that. Um, you know, my first step's gotten tremendously better. Um, you know, ready position and all that ties in there. So, I, I mean, I think the biggest part would be would be tracking down balls. And uh, I, would, I would probably say tracking down balls. Well, another thing that uh, I know the the Marlins are really excited about with you is 
the ability to develop some of your power as a, a big bodied guy you're listed at 6'4 180 but of course 19 you'll you'll grow into that uh, a little bit more and, and put in some power and uh, that's always what they say the last thing that comes along with prospects but you go out and you hit a, a homer in your your class a debut with Greensboro last year um, to already I would imagine have seen some gains in that from when you got started in the system to this spring uh, how do you feel like your swing has evolved in being able to maybe tap into some of that pop more as you start growing up as a ball player yeah i think uh i don't i don't think we're really worried about it i think um you know i'm gonna grow into my body um you know get stronger and all that um you know stay in my legs a little more and staying behind the ball is something we've been working on a little bit and uh you know so hopefully all that will tie in and everything will click good all right connor well, we're gonna end on a couple of fun ones here um one i mentioned before uh, you know, watching some of the YouTube clips of you from the GCL. One thing that stood out to me uh, was your decision to go with no gloves. Take us yeah. through that. Why, why no batting gloves and, and how do you feel like, you know, or just take us through that decision, why you decided to do that, what kind of effect do you think it has on you? Um, I mean, I've always just not worn batting gloves uh, ever since I can remember. I mean, I'll, I'll wear them if, if it's, you know, super cold, um, or it's it's super super hot and I'm super sweaty. My hands are all slippery. But uh, I mean, almost almost every time I, I don't wear batting gloves. Um, I, I it's just something I've always done, um, you know. And I kind of take pride in it because not a lot of people do it anymore. But uh, you know, I'm I'm kind of a uh, kind of an old school old school guy. So I think that would be one of the main parts of it. Yeah, I feel like people always gravitate towards people who don't wear batting gloves either um, just because of yeah. the, the idea that for some reason it feels superhuman to those of us who needed batting gloves <laughs> for all of our lives. Yeah. Uh, what, the other one I want to touch on, and then Tyler's got one more, was you know Tyler mentioned before you, you come from Plant High School in, in, in Tampa, uh, former home of, of Wade Boggs, of the Tucker brothers, Kyle Tucker, Preston Tucker, I think also went there. Uh, what is it about that school that just makes it a baseball factory? Because we talk to college guys and it's one thing for like Vanderbilt to produce uh, position players or, you know, uh, these other schools, it's one thing, it's a university for it to be a single high school to produce this many quality baseball players. What is it about that program and that school and that area that just does so well? Yeah. I mean, I, I give a lot of my credit to the high school coach there and I'm sure the other guys would too. Uh, Coach Dennis Braun, um, he's been around there for, I think, around uh, 15 years. Um, and, I mean, the guy's coached all over the world. Um, I mean, that guy will push you to no limits. Um, I mean, he, he's made me the ball player I am today. He'll never, he'll never, you know, treat you differently no matter who you are. Um, he always pushes you. I mean, he's just all around just one of the best high school coaches, I think. I think around ever. I all right, Connor, last thing for you. Um, you get drafted last year. You go in the first round. You get the the hat and the jersey, and you're part of the Marlins family. You're, I would imagine your family went out and probably not that difficult in Florida, bought a whole ton of Marlins merchandise, <laughs> and you get into the offseason, and they switch up everything on you. They got a new logo. They got new uniforms and everything. Yeah. Um, so I have to get your take then on the, the new logo set and rocking the new uniforms and everything now in spring training. How is uh, How's it feel? And now you've got all these collector's items of the last set yeah um i, lo I love it I, I mean i haven't heard one bad thing about the new logo um 
the only bad part is I got to get my my parents and my sisters all new Marlins gear. Uh, <laughs> that's kind of sick. I'm gonna have to bug the equipment manager on that one, but uh, <laughs> but I, I mean I, I like it a lot. I mean I I think the colors are sweet. I think we uh, a lot of people can agree we needed to change. Um, so I mean I, I think everyone's on board. What do you guys think? I like it. It started to grow on me, which is how I felt about the last one, too. I didn't like it when it first came out. And then after a couple months, I was like, all right, yeah, I think it works. But (laughs) I've never been to Miami. And from what I've heard, it fits Miami very well. That's what I heard about the last one. It's what I've heard about this one. So that seems to be the thing everybody loves most. Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right, good to know. Connor Scott, last year's first-round selection of the Miami Marlins, who will uh, be headed uh, to full-season ball for his first full-season campaign in 2019. Connor, we can't thank you enough for the time, man. Enjoy uh, the the stretch through spring training and getting started in this 2019 season. Best of luck. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Well, enjoy Mexico, man. Yeah, no, I will I will try. I will try. I know it, it, it rare is the time when I go to Florida already red, um, but that's probably going to be the case this weekend. <laughs> you just get the sunburn out of the way. Yeah, that's good. That's I'm going to, I'm going to show up to Braves camp on, on Monday and I'll just be like, Oh, how, how are you guys doing? Great. It looks like you've been here for a while. I, I have not. <laughs> Some I people not. get a base tan. Sam just gets a base burn. That's good. As a Irishman <laughs> on this podcast. Yes. Um, yeah, it's a positive thing. I'm, uh, I'm, a decent amount of Irish as well, but I thankfully got the Italian side of the family's uh, skin for the most part. Like I'm not like, I don't have olive skin, but I don't burn super easily, which is nice. Cause yeah, I know the Irish side of the family and Sam being the, the Uber Irish one uh, of the podcast. Yeah. It's uh, enjoy that. The problem with Florida is I feel like in humidity, you don't feel like you're getting burned quite as much as you do in Arizona in Arizona you're just like you're just sitting in a toaster but in Florida you're like it's like you've been thrown into lava I don't (laughs) humidity for some reason I never feel like oh, I'm getting sunburned here and then if I do it's terrible yeah no I I I kind of get what you're saying but I'm also very hyper aware of when I've been in the sun for too long like there, there are times when I've been to spring training where I try to hide behind just like a pole that's on a link fence. <laughs> just like, I do that too. Yeah. I absolutely do that. I'm, I'm not yeah. as skinny as I once was, so I can't fit fully within the, the shadow of the Into pole. Into a pole shadow, yeah. Right. Yeah, no, I know exactly what you mean, though. Uh, thankfully, there are a decent amount of places now that have like those little sunshades on the bleachers on the backfields, but even those don't do enough. You're still going to end up getting scorched yeah as, uh, yeah so i training week i already bought out. sunscreen so good luck. yeah i already brought travel sunscreen i'm probably going to need three more bottles of those before i, I come know. back but uh yeah no, I'm, I'm looking forward to it it's gonna be a lot of fun well big thanks to connor scott for joining us this week and uh again you can find us on twitter sam is at sam dykstra milb i am a tyler mon connor by the way is at connor scott 24 and uh until florida and arizona sam will be down to the grapefruit league next week and uh enjoy the rest of uh the week away from work and uh we'll talk to you down there man yeah yeah i will try to bring the waves with me on the podcast as i always do <laughs> sounds great and to all of you thanks for tuning in we'll talk to you next week Okay, 
Picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.